0: From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and the studios of the Chicago Sunday Evening Club, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. On today's show, a conversation with actor and director Kurt Cloninger.
1: Coming out from one of the stacks, I saw this fellow who bore a remarkable resemblance to a picture of John Calvin. Strangely enough, this man was striding arm in arm with another man who looked just like John Wesley. And I thought, my goodness, this is heaven they've reconciled.
0: We'll start the conversation in a moment. Stay tuned. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is writer, actor, director, and monologist, Kurt Cloninger. He holds a Bachelor of Arts in theater from Abilene Christian University and received further acting training at Pacific Conservatory. For more than 30 years, he's made his living as a traveling performer. Much of his work has been in the form of one-person shows, monologues with specifically Christian themes. As he puts it, he's performed in some unlikely places, in the Georgia Dome for 30,000 people, standing on top of a stool in the commons at UC Berkeley, and in every imaginable theater and church setting. I first saw Kurt perform on video in the late 1990s an hour of character sketches called Witnesses, which consists of a series of monologues of a variety of imagined friends and acquaintances who knew and interacted with Jesus Christ during his lifetime. As a person new to the Christian faith at the time, that video had a strong impact on me. That performance and much of Kurt's other work is available through his website, kurtkloninger.com, and of course, live and in person. Kurt Kloninger, I'm so glad you can be with us today. Welcome to Things Not Seen.
1: Well, thanks. I am uh, I'm excited to get to visit.
0: Well, you've been both a creative artist and a business person at the same time, and I'd like to start out by asking you about that balance. Uh, what has it been like for the past three decades to have to balance both being the creative side and the business side of your own kind of one-man shop? And has one ever won out over the other, or do they, do they in some way kind of complement one another?
1: I suppose they complement one another. I have told people somewhat tongue-in-cheek but probably more realistically that I have made a living doing this uh, totally in spite of myself uh because i'm i'm really not a great businessman uh i used to think of myself as an entrepreneur but i i'm not um i've sort of found one thing that i i think god's gifted me to do and i've kind of kept doing it over and over again for many years so um the business side of it, I'm sure there's there's lots of things I could do better. Thank God for word of mouth because the word of mouth, of people seeing me and you know rec- recommending me to others, that's that's sort of that sort of kept me alive for the last 30 years. But uh, it, um, you know, there is somewhat of a of, of a tension. I, like like any actor, I love to get applause, and I love folks to know what I do. But I'm sort of a borderline introvert, so I don't like plugging myself all that often. Uh, but I do like other people to do it
0: well i'm int- I'm interested in, in your characterization of yourself as a borderline introvert. I think people might find that surprising. Um, so what you're telling me is that is that you're you're a person who feels sort of uh, turned into yourself, but you you get up on stage. How can you do that if you're an introvert? How can you get up on stage in front of so many people?
1: Well, my wife would dispute that I'm an introvert. If you work on a theory that introvert, extrovert scale, that you are whatever fuels you when you're alone, I mean, I generally get fueled by being off by myself and, you know, taking a good long hike or reading by myself. Or I love people and I love to be around people, but uh, when I go to a party, um, I much would prefer to sit in the corner and find one person to talk to. Uh so and and when I get up in front of people, I mean I I love getting up in front of people, but I'm not the life of the party. You know, I I'm I kind of feel like getting up in front of people is my job. Mm. And uh and I'm thankful that I get to do it. Uh now my wife would dispute that. My wife truly is an introvert. And uh I think nobody would, would argue with that. So she, she. when I say I'm an introvert, she just sort of rolls her eyes. But I I think I
0: am. <laughs> well, when somebody comes to one of your performances, uh, what can they expect to see? I mean, uh, what, what is the sort of standard uh, Kurt Cloninger performance, if you could describe that for us?
1: Well, I'd like to hopefully give people a different perspective on either something they already believe or on – an idea that they they may think they know about, but they they haven't really fully experienced. Um, a lot of my shows are about Jesus, sort of a a gritty look at Jesus, like my Witnesses show. They help people see Jesus, hopefully from sort of a different perspective. I'm real hesitant to to write or perform things that basically you could you could get just from reading the text. I like to kind of get behind the scenes a little bit. So, I think, you know, when people come to one of my shows, they uh, a common a common uh statement afterwards is, you know, I never thought about it like that before or I, I never I never saw Jesus in quite that way before or like, you know, one of my shows is a real funny show about weird ideas that we often have about God and uh people say, "Yeah, you know, I I never I never thought about that before." Uh, but hopefully they're done in such a way that they're palatable for folks because they're they're entertaining. Well, and,
0: and so to sort of stay with that, uh, when you are looking at performance, who are some of the performers that inspire you and have inspired you through the years?
1: I I love a good storyteller. I mean, I'd I love Garrison Keeler. Well, especially in his younger days. A good friend of mine named Ted Swartz who does. Some solo work and some some uh, uh, duet work, and he's just a great writer and great storyteller. And he looks at things from a from a Christian perspective. I like a variety of actors, but I tend to like character actors, Robert Duvall and Edward Norton, uh, folks who who are not typical leading men kind of kind of characters. Storytellers like uh, oh, like Caiem Potok. Uh, or Wendell Berry, or Frederick Buechner, Walt Wangren, folks who really put flesh on biblical concepts. I really like those kind of guys.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen, conversations about culture and faith. We're talking today with actor and director Kurt Cloninger. If you're interested in his work, you can find out more at his website, kurtcloninger.com, and of course at our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. dot com. Cloninger has been performing for more than thirty years throughout the nation. Are you a lifelong person of faith, or did you come to faith at some point after
1: childhood? Um, I grew up in a in a really strong Christian home. Um, I grew up in a fairly uh, legalistic denomination, but with parents who are very grace-filled. And so it was sort of an interesting tension. And when I, when I got to college, I went to a Christian college. When I got to college, very fortunately, I was surrounded by people who were asking lots of great questions, which is, I think, one of the strong things about being in a Christian college, not necessarily the structure, but the fact that if it's a, if it's a good environment, You've got professors and friends around you who are not afraid to ask a lot of questions. And uh, and that's sort of what happened to me in college. I've had a fairly confined, somewhat legalistic, phariseistic look at at what Christianity was. And, and uh, I, that the props sort of began to get knocked out from under me all through college. And, uh, you know, I realized... That this is not really what this is all about. So, and I, I, am I'm, I'm real concerned about, about expressing that, especially in one of my shows where I, I talk about the difference between being a poodle and being a mutt, and that in reality we're all mutts who are forgiven by God. My uh, tagline at the end of this monologue that I do is a redneck monologue called "Bubba's Bible Made Easy." And the three points at the end of this monologue are, uh, number one, God loves mutts and loves to forgive them. So number two, it's better to admit you're a mutt than to play like you're a poodle. Because number three, only forgiven mutts get to ride shotgun in the cab of God's pickup. You'd have to hear the whole monologue (laughs) to really appreciate the wrap-up. But uh, I, I frankly came to the realization when I was in my college years that, yes, indeed, I am a mutt. And... Uh, God loves much, and that that's
0: the sh- that's the show that deals with the misconceptions about God. Am I correct about yeah, that?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's called God Views. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and like all of your shows, it it involves uh, asking some heavy questions, but just as you've demonstrated in this in the standpoint of a sort of folksy delivery, is that a fair way of characterizing your your approach?
1: Yeah, um, most of my characters tend to be somewhat gritty and folksy. I've got the the witnesses show I do has eight characters and uh, two or three of them are, are rednecks and uh, and then I, the the, the God View show is is a is a bunch of caricatures about about misconceptions of God. It's it's loosely based on uh, an old J B Phillips book which I think is out of print now called Your God Is Too Small, uh, which was really one of the one of the formative books for me when I was just starting college, I, that, of course, and Mere Christianity, of course, and John Stott's uh, Basic Christianity, those were all pretty formative books for me.
0: So a moment ago you were discussing uh, Philan's Your God is Too Small and Lewis's Mere Christianity as some inspirations. When I was looking at your show, Jesus Talks, something else that struck me was how similar I found your approach to something like Clarence Jordan's The Cotton Patch Gospels. I was wondering if maybe this this was an inspiration for you, too.
1: Well, yes and no. Tom Key, who does that, performs, first wrote a one-man show to that as a friend of mine here in Atlanta. Gosh, I read Cotton Patch many, many years ago. and. I mean my idea with that show Jesus talks which I used to call red uh, red letter edition but not that many people know what that means anymore but uh, my concept when I when I put together that show was it's uh, the the language in it it's not a direct quotation from any version of the bible it's very conversational very colloquial feeling and i just start out that show I walk up on stage, and on stage there's a loaf of bread and a, and a bottle of wine and a wine glass and a Bible. I always ask that I not be introduced and what I'm doing not be introduced. And so I walk up on stage, I pick up the Bible, I read the Isaiah passage, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, so forth. And then I kind of turn to the audience I say, "Well, well, folks, this morning this scripture just came true. And I just start talking as Jesus, but it's so colloquial. That my, my hope is in the first two or three minutes of that show, my hope is to basically offend everybody in the audience, uh, to where everybody in the audience will be going, what? Who, what? Who does this guy think he is? And what, what in the world is he doing? And then folks, at least folks who know the, the, the words of Jesus start catching on. But, uh, the, the idea being, that when you take those words of Jesus out of context a little bit and you just hear them for what they are, they can be really unsettling.
0: This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is writer and performer Kurt Cloninger. For more than 30 years, Kurt has been performing one-man shows all over the world, taking stories from the Gospels and turning them into fresh and inviting interpretations. We'll be back in a moment. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with actor, director, and playwright, Kurt Cloninger. For more than three decades, Cloninger has been performing Christian-themed theater across the United States and abroad, mostly in the form of multi-character one-man shows. Before the break, we were discussing his show, Jesus Talks, where Cloninger begins with a cold open, speaking in the character of Jesus as if he were simply a person who walked in off the street. And
1: I I really love love doing that show because it's you know it's not me standing up trying to have a British accent and quote the King James and it's it's not about the acting and it's really not about the language it's it's hopefully to to, to be attracted to the personality of Jesus and and to his words but in such a way that it's the filter of kind of religion is removed from it.
0: Well, and I love that approach because it it recreates that instant of offense that it must have been like to actually hear Jesus standing up and saying these things in
1: the synagogue. Oh, yeah. I mean, when the guy walks into the synagogue and and picks up the Holy Scriptures and says, hey, guys, just a little hint here. Everything you're reading here is about me. I mean, I'm a member of a big church here in Atlanta, and, you know, if some guy walked up, unannounced, uninvited and picked up a Bible and started reading and then told everybody, Hey, I'm God. You know, the bouncers would very quickly get rid of the guy. And, uh, so that's sort of the That's sort of the vibe I, I want to have with, with that show. And it's real fun to do. It's, I've done it in some, like I did it for the national prayer breakfast in DC about four or five years ago. And, uh, and it was, it was, you know, I was dressed in jeans and a flannel shirt, and the National Prayer Breakfast is full of folks dressed in three-piece suits, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a movers and shakers kind of, kind of setting, and uh, me talking as Jesus in that context with no introduction, nobody knew who I was. It was really fun because there were a lot of people who were just didn't quite know what to do with me.
0: Have you ever gotten pushback from from audience members about the way that you present these things? Do they do they sort of feel that you're kind of being a little sacrilegious? Have you ever gotten negative feedback? Oh
1: gosh, yeah. Yeah, which is which I love. I mean, the trick is hopefully people will hear them the walls won't be up so strongly that you know, they they tune out. Uh, my one of my favorite stories about that is one Sunday I had done that show in a in a fairly traditional Church and you know finished the thing and went and stood in the back and and uh, next to the you know next to the pastors people filed out and shaking their hands and so forth and uh, and a, wo- a woman came up to the to the pastor and he, she was maybe five or six feet away from me but I, she was an older woman who probably was a bit deaf because she was whispering but she was whispering very loudly and uh, i could hear and she leaned over to the pastor and she whispered to him pastor i guess i like that young man well enough but i certainly didn't agree with a whole lot of what he said and I, <laughs> and immediately i thought bingo you know that that's exactly what i'm after cuz when you hear the words of jesus out of their their say the 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 setting that they're safely couched in they can really they can really be unnerving. So, when 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 I heard that, I thought, "Okay, this was a good morning."
0: Well, and, and so at moments like that, and I, I'm I'm delighted that you take joy in those moments. And at moments like that, when someone has heard the words of Jesus fresh in a new way, and they're offended by them. Do you feel like that helps to move them along their spiritual journeys? Do you ever and moreover, do you ever get a chance to check back in with them later and hear how that has impacted them?
1: Yeah, I have some. Um I mean, I don't get to do that all the time because I'm sort of a carpet bomber, you know. I fly in and drop my bombs and then I get on a plane and go go somewhere else, but um uh, I do I mean, I have had that opportunity and and frankly, I mean that's just a small part of it cuz like when that sh- in in that show especially at the end of it I'm it's sort of a quasi communion feel cuz I'm handing out bread and and literally have my hands on people as I hand them bread and I'm looking them in the eye and speaking as Jesus uh using mostly words that are John 14 and following but um s- some of the some of the encounters that I've had in those settings have been remarkable. I mean, people, you know, a, a real a connection with folks, with me speaking as Jesus, where people have been so encouraged with the words of Jesus, that, and, and lots of stories, like people coming up afterwards saying, you don't know me, but my wife died three months ago, and what you said to me this morning as Jesus was unbelievably encouraging. And, you know, that kind of thing where you just go, wow, that's pretty cool. So, uh, the, the, I mean, the hope is that the, the spirit of Jesus in that, not the Holy Spirit, but the spirit of, of what Jesus did to people will be present in that show that will minister to folks.
0: Well, as I said at the top of the show— Witnesses was a very impactful show for me when I first encountered it. I, I first saw a video of Witnesses in the mid-1990s when I was uh, pretty much a new, a new believer. And then later, when I was a youth leader at a church, I used that as one of my teaching tools. Now, what I really like about that show is that you're providing perspectives from a real range of characters, and some of them we know from the Gospels, but others are just people from your imagination. And I'd like to ask about the development of that show. What was the process that you went through as you began to put that
1: show together? I I wanted to have a, a, a look at Jesus from the perspective of folks you know when we we're very fortunate and in some ways unfortunate as as people who can read the account of the history of Jesus in the gospels in that when we start reading gospels most of us who are at least somewhat familiar with with the story when we read the gospels i mean we we know the end of the story for the most part and we kind of know what's going to happen. It's like going to a movie we've seen, you know, 20 times before. And, uh, I wanted, but we forget that whoever had an encounter with Jesus, for the most part, it was the first and only time they ever had that. And they, they didn't have the, the benefit of being able to look back and kind of piece it all together. And so I wanted to write something that gave that that feel of somebody who encountered Jesus but didn't get it totally. Uh, and, I, you know, I think there were a lot of people who didn't get it or who just got a little small piece of what he was saying. And so, well, like, there's, a, one of, there's several characters who are mentioned in the Gospels who you can identify in the Gospels. And there's several who are just rattled out of my sort of apocryphal imagination who are kind of representative types. But one, one of the characters in the show is Thomas, the apostle, after the, after the crucifixion and before the resurrection. And so I wanted to write, you know, we, a lot of times we, when we read the, the, the account from, from the final week of Jesus, we can really rush right by them the crucifixion and and the wake and, and you know those those days where people were grieving. And we get to the we get to the resurrection and Easter and that's great. But I wanted to write a character from the perspective of someone who been to the funeral and you're sitting around day after or the day of the funeral, you go to the funeral and then you sit around and a whole bunch of people bring casseroles and you sit around, and you tell stories about the guy who died. There's this, there's a heaviness, but there's also a finality to it where you go, man, he was a great guy. You remember the time he did this? And with no expectation that, oh, and the next day, by the way, the guy's going to come back alive. So I wrote that character with with that heaviness, with no hope of anything being different, just that this guy that they really loved was dead. And now they're going to have to figure out what in the world they're going to do next. So that the joy of the resurrection has full impact. And the, the last character in the show is Peter after the resurrection. But that wonder and joy and surprise of the resurrection has full impact because we've seen a character who didn't expect that, you know, wasn't hoping for anything else. So, so a, a lot of that show is people curious about something Jesus did and, and that they saw or that they experienced. Hopefully it, it helps us it helps us grab hold stronger to the you know, the whole concept from John of the word made flesh that here's this mystery who is right in front of our eyes. We don't quite get it all.
0: You're listening to Things Not Seen conversations about culture and faith. If you're just joining us, our guest today is actor, writer, and director, Kurt Cloninger. For more than 30 years, he's been performing one-man Christian theater all over the world. We're discussing his creative processes and his experiences as a Christian performer in a largely secular industry. I, I appreciate you taking a moment to talk about the process behind the, the creation of a show like Witnesses. I want to stick with that for a moment and ask you a question now about uh, some of the performance aspect of it. Because also within Witnesses, you play the character of Barabbas, the character who Jesus was was crucified in Barabbas' place. And one of the things that occurs in that is is you literally speaking as Barabbas saying, no, you don't understand. I'm supposed to be there in his place. And I'm I'm wondering as a performer just watching that, where do you go – as a performer to find the emotion to connect with a character like Barabbas.
1: Well, he's a he's a um he's a pretty rough bird and uh I wanted to and the account the account that I do with Barabbas is you no know, there's no well, I mean maybe a maybe a gospel historian knows something that I don't know but to my knowledge, anyway, there's no truth to the fact that Barabbas ever became a believer and a follower of Jesus. But when I was writing this, I thought, if there's ever a person in the world who could literally say, Jesus took my place, you know, who would it be? Well, duh, it would be Barabbas. And so I started that monologue off with that perspective, and so the emotion of that character and I knew I wanted to make the character rough. I knew I wanted to make him somebody that, even if he did become a follower of Jesus, you know, didn't all of a sudden turn into some some dude wearing a three- piece suit who works for IBM now. I wanted him to make a, make him a you know a, still a, a rough around the edges kind of character. and the intensity of basically what the character does is he in a very graphic, first-person, intense way, he describes the crucifixion, and he describes his his gut feeling. and There's a lot of anger at it because Barabbas he sees the he sees these Romans crucifying this guy, and he is he's just furious. I mean he he wants to wants to kill as many Romans as he can, and so I mean it's a hard character to do just because it is so intense and. When I'm going there, I'm really—if if it's working, if if all cylinders are hitting, I become sort of sucked up in the story as the character, and relive the events right there, to where the intensity is. You know, I'm I'm seeing it in my head as a as an immediate sort of situation. So, as an actor, it's fun to go there. As a as somebody who who says, yeah. Jesus took my place, too. I mean, that's truly what happened. It's not just a theological concept. It, it really is a truth. I mean, it, it, certainly, it certainly helps the character get intense because I believe that about myself as well. So. And hopefully that's what the character helps people see, that we all should be there.
0: So in, in witnesses, there's one other character that I'd like to ask about, and it's, it's the Taylor character. And this yeah. character, he's characterized more as what we would call sort of a sensitive man. And I, and I'm, I'm, every time that I've seen that performance, I wonder kind of about the intention behind creating that character, because you can read him as simply a sensitive man, uh, who doesn't like roughness, or you can begin to read into that character as this could perhaps be, uh, standing in for, uh, a homosexual man, a same-sex attracted man. And I'm wondering, am I reading too much into that character? But if I'm not, sort of the intention behind placing a character like that in the midst of what we could call an evangelical performance.
1: Yeah. When I – I mean, this is – I wrote this show a long time ago. I, I want he's – a, he's a quick synopsis of the character. He's, he was a childhood – I mean, totally apocryphal character. He's out of my imagination but i wanted to write a character who is somebody who encountered jesus as as a kid and so the character encounters jesus when they're both about 12 or 13 years old and the character is a is uh, raised by a single mom they're they're shuffled around to relatives his mom is way overprotective Keeps him inside, you know, because she doesn't want to lose him. He, he says she calls me, she called me her little, her little jewel and she treated me that way. And, uh, so he was, he was a very sensitive, sensitive kid, very sensitive boy who had no friends and was picked on, uh, by the other kids in the villages where they live. And in the monologue, uh, he's being pummeled by a bully. In this village in Nazareth, and um, Jesus shows up and pulls a bully off of him and takes two or three punches from the bully and just stands there. And the, the crowd of the crowd of, of, of boys who are picking on him wind off, walk you know, wind up walking off by themselves, and, and the kid is left there with Jesus as his as his protector, and they wind up becoming uh, good friends. It teaches him how to be a boy, basically. And my intention with that character was, one, to show, just to give a perspective of, of, I wonder what it would be like, I wonder what Jesus would have been like as a boy. We know there's not much in the record about that. And the apocryphal stories about Jesus as a boy are, <laughs> some of them are really bizarre, you know, of him, him oh, I can't remember, turning clay pigeons into real ones or something, and I don't know. I can't remember. but but uh, So I wanted to show that. But then I also wanted to show Jesus coming to the defense of somebody who, frankly, as an evangelical, I might be tempted to go, ooh, that makes me a little uncomfortable. I'm hinting with that character, with a guy who could very possibly be somebody who was perceived as a homosexual. Are perceived as for lack of a better description these days as a sissy boy and and to have Jesus coming to his defense and standing up for this guy pushes some buttons and uh I wanted that to happen now in the last ten or fifteen years with the with the same sex attraction stuff and the church being coming much more to the surface, that character has has sort of taken on a, a another a whole nother sort of layer, I guess. And the discussions have been a little different about that character uh, the last probably ten years or so.
0: This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with actor, director, and playwright Kurt Cloninger. For three decades, Cloninger has been performing Christian-themed theater across the United States and abroad, mostly in the form of multi-character one-man shows. You can find out more about Cloninger's career and work at his website, KurtCloninger.com. There you can watch samples of his performances and see a schedule of when he might be traveling to your area. You can also find out more at thingsnotseenradio.com. We'll be back in a moment. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is writer and performer Kurt Cloninger. For more than 30 years, Kurt has been performing one-man shows all over the world, taking stories from the Gospels and turning them into fresh and inviting interpretations. Well, I'd like to ask about a more recent piece, uh, and this is a direct-to-video piece so far as I can tell. I don't know if you actually perform this live, but it's the piece, I'm Putting Up the Flag. And yeah. and I'm wondering uh, – because basically it's you just kind of talking to the camera as a flag is waving on your porch and 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 you're describing all of the motivations that you have for, for engaging in this ritual of putting up the flag. And I'm wondering if you could, if you could tell our listeners kind of what the motivation of that was and what, what you've hoped to accomplish with a video like that.
1: That's sort of been an interesting story, that video. I wanted to write a piece, and it's short. It's about a three-minute piece. I wanted to write a patriotic piece that wasn't a, a reactionary, flag-waving, my way or the highway kind of, kind of piece. So I wrote this, and, and it's, it's basically, isn't this a great place? I'm putting up this flag because this is a place where, where we, can, we can disagree without killing each other. We can have freedom to, to disagree about things and to to still live in the same country and it's it's kind of a soft sell patriotic piece that's that's flag waving but not strident flag waving and i put it up and i put it on my youtube channel and it sort of got a life of its own i it got a whole bunch of views on youtube and and a uh, retail clothing store picked it up to send out to their their you know several million people on their email lists and and the reactions i've got have been really fun to read on my YouTube channel, because some of them are very conservative Republican folks who who say, yes, finally, somebody's saying something that we agree with. And then I'll get the same reaction for somebody who's very left-leaning, much more liberal, who are saying, finally, somebody's saying something about us getting along and agreeing, you know, and I'm just thinking it's the exact same piece, you know, everybody's, everybody's seeing what they want to see in it. But it uh it's been fun to it's been fun to watch your reaction to
0: that. Well, let's listen to a moment of that. This is an excerpt from "I'm Putting up the Flag," a video by our guest, Kurt Cloninger.:
1: I'm putting up the flag because it's Saturday, and later on, maybe i'll uh, I'll invite the neighbors, Charlie and Dee, over, and we'll grill something, and, uh, and Charlie and I will get in a good-natured argument about politics or whatever. Because we never agree about much of anything, Charlie and I. I'm putting up the flag, because Charlie and I can do that here. We can disagree about politics or religion or or whatever, without either of us worrying that somebody's gonna come haul us away. And then we'll grill some burgers, or maybe we'll go cheaper, hot dogs. Not around here, almost everybody can afford a hot dog, because we're. Uh, we're blessed
0: in this country. So it sounds like you were trying to thread a needle with that to to kind of hit a, a tone that didn't pull people to the left or to the right, but found a way to kind of gather them to the middle and, and sort of realize, hey, wait, we do actually share something kind of nice here. So was that yeah. your intention going in or was that sort of an unexpected surprise?
1: Well, it wasn't a real obvious intention going in. I was just doing a straight-to-the-camera talking kind of a walk-and-talk sort of piece, and uh, – it took a life of its own i mean i don't tend to be i'm a pretty conservative guy but i don't tend to be very strident and it, it sort of makes me nervous to be about around real strident people either left or right uh, politically one of my best friends and i are the total opposite politically but i love being with this guy cuz he pushes my buttons and i push his buttons and and then when we're done pushing each other's buttons we go get a cup of coffee and and talk about movies, so it's uh it's uh, i just I'm thankful that we live in a country where you can do that, you know, and especially these days when you know when the news is just horrible, the idea of of disagreeing will will get you killed
0: well let's let's stay with that for a moment. I mean we live in a country where there is obviously a lot of political polarization but there's also religious polarization and you work in an industry, the entertainment industry, that is largely perceived to be secular and yet you are an avowedly Christian performer within an avowedly – at least by perception's sake – secular type of industry. Is that ever a tension for you?
1: Well, yes and no. I, I'm kind of a. I have a film and uh, and TV agent here in Atlanta where I live, and I can impress lots of folks with the things I've auditioned for, but I haven't gotten cast in. And I did typical repertory theater years ago when I was a young guy, and uh, I tell people that ask me how to, how to I deal with the tension of that, and frankly. I've very rarely had to make any hard decisions about either roles or stuff I'm in because of my my faith. I feel like with the solo shows that I do the ministry and that is stuff that is blatantly about God. It for the most part blatantly asks questions uh, and gives answers about who I think God is. And and that's that's a ministry I'm thankful for it my other the other side of it when i do film or tv or any of that kind of stuff that and i as i'm speaking like i i get a lot of that i really don't but the the ministry like when i when i did repertory theater my ministry in that setting was not necessarily the material it was the relationship i had with with lots of other actors and and that was great fun for me i mean one of the, i was in a i was in a repertory company on the west coast and to my knowledge, anyway, there might have been some other Christians in the company, but I don't, I didn't, I don't know if there were. I was a Christian in a company of 30 other actors, who were typical actors. They lived their life like they wanted to live their life, and when they found out I was a Christian, they didn't know what to do with that because their preconceived notion about a Christian was it was somebody that was going to point their finger at them and, and tell them they were all going to hell and. and so it was, it was great fun being in that setting because I just got to know people. I, I, and I, I've, I've got a lot of friends who are in more typical film and theater settings and who are Christians, who navigate that world fairly, fairly well. I mean, it's just like being a Christian in any other industry. You want to do good work and you want to do it for the glory of God, but it might not be blatantly about God. You know, I'm I'm very thankful for my dentist who just replaced the front tooth of mine that I knocked out on a hike, and he's a Christian, but I don't go to him because he's a Christian. I go to him because he's the best dentist in Atlanta, and uh, he does good work. So I hope I I can do good work whether my material is blatantly about Jesus or not. And of course, there's stuff I'm not gonna do. There's there's uh, if I, I would not do a show that. Uh, is contradictory to my worldview if the show doesn't speak truth. I don't mind doing a character who's bad character, but if the badness is the only thing that gets glorified, I, I'm not interested.
0: We'll return to our conversation with Kirk Cloninger after a short break. This is Things Not Seen. If you're listening to the show for the first time and you like what you hear, we have over 50 shows archived on our website, thingsnotseenradio.com and they're all free and available for download. And if you want to carry them along with you, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Search for Things Not Seen Podcast in the iTunes store. And while you're there, we'd love it if you took a moment to write a review and give us a rating. That's actually unbelievably helpful to us in getting the word out about the show. If you're on Twitter, take a moment and follow us at notseenradio. If you want to keep up with me and the silly things that I tweet about, you can do that by following at Dalt Radio. And one more plug. If you haven't discovered our daily Religion Moments podcast yet, you're truly missing out on a treasure. Each and every day, our senior producer, Katie Scroggin finds some highlight from religious history and turns it into this incredible, informative little two-minute gem. Seriously, they're brilliant, they're free, and they happen every day. You should be listening. And even better, we have all of them archived on our website, so if you're just now starting to listen to Religion Moments, you've not missed out on a thing. You can go back and explore all the catalog just like you were traveling back in time. And thank you, as always, for listening. If you're just joining us, our guest today is actor, writer, and director Kurt Cloninger. For more than 30 years, he's been performing one-man Christian theater all over the world. We're discussing his creative processes and his experiences as a Christian performer in a largely secular industry. When you were first getting started, when you were at Abilene College, what were you thinking when you looked ahead to your life as to what you'd be doing?
1: Oh, I'd love to tell you that I had a 30-year plan or a five-year plan, or but I'm not one of those kind of guys. I've I've generally... For the most part, I had about a ten minute plan. I got out of college with a communications and theater degree and really had no idea what I was going to do and I sort of discovered it over a period of of several years where i did I did several things i mean i I was a sales rep for a little while I taught school for a year. I was a youth pastor I led worship I did repertory theater I toured with a group that Six of us put together and traveled around doing, doing Christian stuff and uh, stuff that, that was blatantly about Jesus. And uh, during the course of all of that, is when I kind of discovered my my penchant for for writing and for doing solo performing. And uh, it, it really wasn't a lightning strike. It was just sort of a a slow. slow realization that hey this seems to be what i'm good at and uh, somehow or another these doors keep keep opening i just kind of walk through them which is sort of what i've done over the last few years i mean i a door opens and and i say well that looks interesting let me see what that what'll happen there like uh, for instance a friend of mine who is a the president of uh, John Stott Ministries, which is now called Langham Partnership, you know the John Stott, the the English uh, theologian, pastor, writer. He's written you know sixty or seventy books, and um, he came to me and and Uncle John, as he's called, uh, Uncle John was was a year, about a year away from from dying. He died, he I think he's ninety, but. Uh, Anyway, my friend came to me and asked me if I would write a a show on John Stott. And long story short, I wound up writing a a piece on John Stott that I performed several times for, for different settings. And, you know, that's nothing I would have done except that somebody asked me to do it. And through the course of that, of course, I learned a lot about John Stott because I did a lot of research and have met lots of folks who were involved with with John Stott and got to see the the influence he's had on the world, which has been remarkable. So that was fun, you know, and that, that was just a door I I walked through because somebody invited me. Same thing with, I do a, I do a show for uh, non-profit hospitals called Visiting Hours. And uh, somebody at Baylor Hospital in Dallas, a big hospital chain in Dallas, that's a faith-based hospital, asked me if I had something, you know that would work for hospitals, and I said, "Well, not really, but I could write something." So I wound up writing this. It's about a forty-minute show, and um, and I do it for hospitals, and it's basically a a show that multiple character show that reminds people who work in healthcare sort of why they do what they do. It's sort of an encouragement show to 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 help them find their hearts again. And that's that's nothing I ever would have done. Except that a door opened. Somebody asked me to do it. So uh, that's sort of how it's been for me for thirty years. I, I kind of just keep walking through these doors, and and that back to the, your earlier question about the tension of being a businessman and being an artist. Uh, I, if I was a businessman, I probably would have thought about trying to figure out how to plan all of that. But I don't. I just, <laughs> I just, I just uh, sort of happily walked through these doors.
0: Well, as you look back now, do you have any advice that you'd give to that uh, young Kurt Cloninger that was just starting out?
1: Oh, I think I would say, don't be afraid. Tally ho, carry on. And uh, fortunately, I married later in life. I was 30. And my wife, now my kids who are in their 20s, they they never knew me Doing anything else but what I do now, and so they they had no point of comparison where my kids could go. Dad, you remember when you had a real job? Maybe could you get a real job again? They've only known me doing this, and so it kind of helps because the kind of the uncertainty of being self-employed, the ups and downs of of uh, you know being an artist—that's all they've ever known. So it's It's worked out it's worked out nicely,
0: and after all these years, how and all these performances, I should say, how has your faith shifted, or has it shifted?
1: Oh yeah, I think it has shifted i think i'm more I'm more impressed these days than ever before with the just the joyful acceptance of the grace of God, with the being able to live without having all the questions answered, and being able to to not get freaked out by doubts or not get freaked out by by the fact that I don't have this all figured out and i'm and I'm never going to have this all figured out, and that's okay and hopefully I've learned to appreciate folks who don't necessarily agree with me on everything I love to I just love to to learn from a whole different group of folks. So hopefully that happens.
0: Well, Kurt Cloninger, I've been a fan for a number of years, and I'm really honored to speak to you today. Thank you so much for taking the time, and thank you for your work.
1: Oh, it is my absolute pleasure, and I am thankful that I still get to do it after all these years.
0: Our guest today has been writer, actor, director, and monologist Kurt Cloninger. He holds a Bachelor of Arts in Theater from Abilene Christian University and received further acting training at Pacific Conservatory. For more than 30 years, he's made his living as a traveling performer. Much of his work has been in the form of one-person shows, monologues with specifically Christian themes. As he puts it, he's performed in some unlikely places, in the Georgia Dome for 30,000 people, standing on top of a stool in the commons at UC Berkeley, and in every imaginable theater and church setting. You can find out more about Cloninger's work at his website, KurtCloninger.com, or at our website, ThingsNotSeenRadio.com. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC, with the support of the Chicago Sunday Evening Club. Today's show was recorded at WBEZ's Navy Pier Studios, overlooking beautiful Lake Michigan. WBEZ is not responsible for the content of this program. Additional production for this week took place at the studios of the Chicago Sunday Evening Club here in the Chicago Loop. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keeja. Mary Gaffney engineered the show. Kim Tron and David Dalt did the editing. Our staff includes Travis Abels, David J. Dunn, Natasha Alford, and Alexander Badenoch. Katie Scroggin is our senior producer. You can follow us on Twitter at NotSceneRadio